We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 341 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he's Emil Evanesian. How's it going, Emil? I'm still floating, man. Last night was, it was something. I mean, we're, I'm glad we have, I'm glad I have a bit of a runway because finding the words for kind of all that was last night was, is proving a little bit challenging. So hopefully we can crack that nut today. Well, in context, the majority of our show and why Emil is speaking the way he is, he was one of the 91,553 fans in attendance at the Camp Nou last night for the Femini El Clasico win in the Champions League. But before I get to that, though, I want to give a quick little behind the scenes brief update. The website was down for a few days for those who regularly check BarcaBlog.com. But thanks to Patreon Armando, he helped me out. The site is back up and running. Now, there is still a plenty of surprises, well, to say in the near-term future for the website. So keep an eye out, and I'll also announce everything here on the pod. But yeah, we have some exciting things in the works, but unrelated to that, the website was down for its own maintenance and technical <laughs> issues. So again, a thank you to Patreon Armando, a big shout to him for helping me get that back up and running. So barsblog.com, check out YouTube, podcasts, articles, all the different stuff. That's your landing page for that. And you might have found this podcast at barsblog.com, but we today are talking for the entirety of the first part of this segment. We'll do a little bit of the men's news at the end, but let's do it. Barcelona beating Real Madrid 5-2 in El Clasico. 91,553 people, a world record at a women's football match, all happening at the Camp Nou. There is an argument for Barcelona-Real Madrid to become a proper El Clasico, with Atletico Madrid dropping Mm -hmm. their level a bit and not keeping Mm -hmm. up. And it was a reminder to me, Emil, not to say how long I've been hosting the show now, but even in the five years since I started talking about the feminine, mm-hmm. Real Madrid, not only did they not exist, but even CD Tacon for a while before Real Madrid even entered the fray, now we're talking three, four years ago, there was only, and it wasn't even really an El Clasico, it was that Atletico Madrid and Barcelona would seemingly trade power. Who had the better yeah. players and they would go and players would switch and swap and then whichever players, uh, whichever team had the better players would, we'll say, rule that era and then it was 
just handed back like a baton, right? But it was never really the either one. Last decade was a little bit almost like whoever had Jenny Hermoso won the title. Basically, I yes. I was <laughs> yeah. getting to that, a ping pong of Jenny Hermoso. <laughs> so this record beats the previous record of 90,185 people at the 1999 mm. World Cup final. So this, we're talking World Cup women's matches. We're talking Crazy. about yeah. club. We're talking anything. 91,553 people. It's also the most people that were at the Camp Nou this season, regardless of match, regardless of competition. Yes. That was the most that were in attendance. So, Emil, you were one of... So, without you, there was 91,552 uh, people, but because yes. you were there, yeah, what was it? What were the vibes? What was the atmosphere? Very rarely, you know, from my couch and from my little studio here, do I care about that? But, yeah, you were there. It seemed like the atmosphere was even beyond what we could comprehend. I mean, partly out of convenience, but uh, so it's about a half an hour, 35 minute walk from my apartment to, to the stadium. So I did the walk and it was about halfway, two thirds of the way through. You started seeing people and it was men, women, kids, just all sexes, ages, everything. Barca scarves and, you know, the, the jerseys on and stuff. And slowly as you walk down on Diagonal kind of towards the stadium it was almost there was like more and more kind of the the, the contingent of ball ground I sort of grew as you got closer by the time you got to the stadium it was it was literally as crowded as I've ever seen around mm-hmm. Camp Nou but it was there was really a vibe I mean I've never been to a massive like a Champions League game at, at Camp Nou or anything like that but this was the most kind of buzzy just there, there was a palpable excitement even in the last I would say maybe quarter or third of a mile walking up to the stadium, let alone once you got inside. And inside, I think the best thing about it was it just, it had a massive big game vibe to it. You know, no one, I mean, obviously everyone was there because it was, you know, the the feminine things like that. But at no point did it feel like we were here to, to make up numbers or it was some sort of like gimmicky, let's break this record mm-hmm. sort of thing. This was... El Clasico. We were we were here for a Champions League game to send Real Madrid home. And that was that, you know, and it felt none of it felt the least bit. I don't know. I mean, it all felt so organic. It was so, so sincere and so earnest. And, you know, once once the momentum just started with just the, the singing and the chanting with with kickoff and that ovation, it never really let up. I mean, I would say for, in all honesty, for probably 80 of the 90 minutes, the entire crowd or, you know, the the vast majority, we were on our feet, singing, shouting, you know, like a lot of bouncing. And it just, it felt like the most, I mean, it felt momentous for reasons that had nothing to do with the headcount in the stadium, if that makes sense. Well, it does. Alexia Puteis, before the match, kind of called it. She said that this Mm -hmm. was going to be a before and after moment for women's football. Mm -hmm. And she definitely has an argument for that because, mm-hmm. and I'll say this in a really, really cynical way, is that, you know, I, I saw this online, that if one ticket on average at that Camp No match last night sold for 10 euros, then mm-hmm. that match was worth to the club 100,000 euros at the gate. If, mm-hmm. if that was, for, you know, we're just, again, for, for numbers sake, making it simple mm-hmm. to say that if every ticket was worth 10, 10 euros, then it was 100,000 euros for that match. And so... With the wait, right- no, uh, wait, nine hundred thousand. So we're saying oh, ten euros per, per ticket, person. right? Yeah, yeah. So that would be yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, nine hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, close to a million, close right. to a million euros. Yeah, right. And yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, so <laughs> way more than what I said. So yeah, so in that context, again, the cynical part of this is that 
those old crotchety men who make those decisions and everything comes down to money and bottom line and the great argument. Because, you know, we could argue about the, you know, the significance of women's football or all the nonsense about on the field or whatever. And what we say doesn't truly matter other than what we do. And that's showing up and tuning in and putting eyeballs on it and putting butts in the seat or Kool-Aids in the seats and showing that there is a support behind the game and that people are willing to spend their money on the game. And that's going to take all of these old men that, you know, were wondering on whether or not it was possible because the, you know, and the great irony with the women's team is they don't fill up that 6,000 person Johan Cruyff Stadium, but the event, Mm. the proper marketing that was done, the support, the backing, the fact that weeks leading up to this match, the club was supporting it. The city was all saying, hey, this is going to be an event. And if you can create an event out of a sporting event right if you or you can make it a special event leading up to a moment then you can get this kind of response and Mm -hmm. as i said this response equaled the bottom line it equaled a dollar Mm -hmm. or euro rather and many euros and that's the kind of thing to say that oh your investment in women's football is going to pay off and so it's Mm -hmm. no surprise that this is Barcelona versus Real Madrid because Real Madrid, as much as you know, we detest them, they might have been a little later to the party than Barca, but Barca, Barca were also, well, quote unquote, late to the party as well. They were 15, 20 years behind some of the other programs that have been going on in women's football or and the way the clubs are investing in their their, their mm-hmm. women's teams. I mean, again, Lyon, Wolfsburg, those examples. And it's just at the grassroots level. So for all of this support to be poured into the Barca Femini and then in tandem, Real Madrid, it's creating something. It's creating an event. It's creating that rivalry on the women's side of things. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just so excited for what this could mean moving forward, showing that women's football can create an event and women's football can be yeah. important to their... their, their I, it's so cynical to say that, but that's what's going... That's really what this before and after moment is. Look, I think, yeah, and look, there's, there's a little bit of that. And it... Yeah, in light of kind of all the moments and all the snapshots and the sort of the frankly almost like the perfection that one that was last night, mm-hmm. there's there's that element of it that look, this was probably initially conceived by you know by the club or Juan Laporta or whoever whoever's brainchild this was. This was probably initially conceived as probably a way to yeah to make some money. And I understand in the context of the monumental debt that we talk about, you know, like making a million bucks when you owe a billion is it doesn't do much but i understand too and i think there was also a sense that we can we can establish ourselves as the as the rulers of the women's club game we have yeah. a a mobile and you know and enthusiastic fan base who i don't know if they expected 91,000 but you know they probably figured they would get a a large and spirited crowd well, and i'm saying and so beyond I, this though i as i think yeah. i mean i think we're going to really focus on the feminine but i'm saying beyond yeah. this i'm saying if you're bayern munich and psg oh, 100%. And, and if you're chelsea and you're man city and you're arsenal and you're manchester yeah. united this should be a lesson to you that put them in, at old trafford put them at stanford bridge put them at the allianz arena and give oh, them, give your women's teams the platforms to not equal this number because it's again the Camp Nou is just something different in Europe. It's it's the biggest stadium in Europe. It's just literally bigger. Correct. Although, but I, I, I was thinking that Florentino Perez is going to pay every Madridista he can find to fill the Bernabeu. Oh yeah, and probably tether a thousand overloaded hot air balloons to, which is totally to fine claim to the believe record. it or not like I, as much as, as i detest everything that the man does it's this, <laughs> that, that 
is good thing for women's football. Trying to push oh, this team forward yeah, yeah. and creating this duopoly yeah. in Spanish football is is great because yeah, that was also the worry that this women's team isn't truly tested. And I guess I mean we can pivot to talking about mm. like what actually happened in the match and gave you something mm. to cheer about, but also gave you a question of having to be able to watch an enjoyable match that actually not say required a comeback in the tie, but was technically a comeback in the match itself. And going in, yeah. there was no Licky Martins, no Asuswala. Mm-hmm. And the big question for this feminine team, for those who haven't been following along this year, health will be the key to this team mm-hmm. potentially repeating as Champions League winners. That's it. They're the best team in Europe. They're the most talented yeah. team still. But if they are not healthy and do not have the depth required when the matches truly come down to it, then they may not win the Champions League again. I just I want to warn everybody with that. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Pique and Puyol or Pique and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case... When it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up, and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, they started, obviously, they started strong. They, they got on the board, you know, what was it, eight minutes in, I think. And the the team itself actually looked great coming out. I would say maybe the first three or four minutes, there probably is a sense of, I guess in the most practical, literal sense, they have never played in this big A stadium, you know, packed to the gills as it was that loud, you know, yeah. with okay. the horns and the whistles and you, the you, whole, the yeah, whole thing. You saw thing. what uh, Caroline Graham Hansen said, right? She, she, she gave a really, really emotional post-match interview. Yes. And she said that it was unbelievable. Like she, she couldn't, yeah. it kind of, they had to kind of shake that off of what that was. They just, they couldn't imagine what was happening. And there, there was a little bit of a sense of that. And I think there was, because, you know, they were kind of, they would be kind of good for two or three passes and maybe half to two thirds of a move. And then a pass would just be a little bit off, you know, a half, a half step ahead of somebody or just a half a second late or something. I think a little bit, not that Madrid ever actually challenged the the area or the the Barca goal in any in any consistent way or at all for that matter, but I think the fact that for the Madrid players also the whole thing like this atmosphere of you're getting whistled when you you know you're getting whistled by eighty ninety thousand people when you have the ball, which has got to be a completely alien feeling. Yeah. So I think that also I think everyone had a needed a few minutes to sort of gain their footing and find some some manner of comfort zone. And I think on top of that, I think Femini were understandably very eager to come out and just play very slickly and sort of take the game to Madrid and and put on a show. I think, you know, to sort of hold up their end of making this thing into into a massive event. And I mean, I'll be honest, you know, when they got on the board after eight minutes, I was like, okay, cool. So that's in my mind, I kind of figured, okay, so that's game. Um, and then for the next, I'd say maybe three or four minutes, honestly, just until Madrid got the penalty, it was they had everything but the finish. I mean, they were they were penetrating the the area left and right, and just the the crosses were slightly off. Or I think there was a decent save in there somewhere, and it just it felt like the one was going to become three very quickly, and you know we'd be off to the races after that, but. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of, I don't even know. I mean, it, it has to feel a little bit overwhelming when, you know, no matter how, as great as these players are, I mean, this is a stadium that is, you know, orders of magnitude larger than where they where they usually play. And it is completely packed. And, you know, the the fever pitch was, I'm, I'm going to try to find words to, to put it in, but it was, it was constant. It was 80, 90 minutes of, jumping up and down the horns, the whistles, the, yeah. the singing, the chanting, the whole thing. And, you know, it probably takes a second to, to get your brain around that. Well, yeah, I go back to the comments again that was made before by yeah. uh, Alexia, by Jenny Homoso, yeah. by Kellen Graham Hansen, just that they understood, especially where all, where were the 82,000 of those tickets were sold out within three days of being, being put out when it was first yeah. released, right? And so these players fully understood the responsibility i think mm. which unfair to them but i think they felt this responsibility they had mm-hmm. to you're right to show out that hey maybe more than just 
Femini fans, because it's not even all Kool-Aid. It's not even all Barca fans care about the Femini, right? Like, there are, there are yeah. people who, I mean, we're 15, 16 minutes in, so I can say those who aren't listening aren't listening at this point, right? Like, right. And, and there are Kool-Aids that aren't listening. And so for them to know and understand the magnitude of what a big performance or, you know, classy finishes or, or really good mm-hmm. goals could mean, because even Mappy Leone, her the first goal of the game was a cross, not a shot. Yes. And yet it finds the back of the net and it works out. But you could tell then Graham Hansen was just up to it the whole match. You could tell yeah. like she had a weight on her, but she was I mean, and these players, these feminine players, if anything, if there are players capable of taking on the responsibility and being just as good as advertised and showing out and putting on that show, it's it's these players like Caroline Graham yeah. Hansen, who was the main protagonist. But then the, the goal happens, which I'm not gonna say it's a good thing, but because this feminine team is, we'll talk again a Champions League final, a semifinal, but against this Real Madrid, Real Madrid team, a team that they beat what nine nothing within a few weeks, and yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they did struggle a little bit at the um, in Madrid uh, last week, yeah. but but it was it was cool to me that this was a bit of a match. Like I, I can't believe I wasn't oh, yeah. rooting for Real Madrid by any, by any means, but mm. it was a, definitely a handball on Paredes, who was one of the best defenders in all of Europe, as yeah. evidenced last year when she won the award. But Olga Camona <laughs> gets the one one. And I have to say, too, good on Madrid for trying to press as hard as they did, pushing forward that back line and trying to play a high line. It's they, a, it's a they, same... played, they played hard. I mean, yeah. they were not they weren't kind of covering up and just hoping to to minimize the damage at, at any point. I mean, they were going into tackles hard. Like you said, they were they were pressing and they they look, they, they couldn't conjure much of an attack, which yeah. actually um, you mentioned both of the people both of the players who sort of stood out for me as the best last night were Muppy Leon and Carolyn Graham Hansen. Yeah, I agree with that. And there was just, there was only so far that, that Madrid could go before it was just like shut down. Like you will not pass. And to their credit, I mean, they kept, they kept trying, they kept trying to, and they weren't doing any kind of like, they weren't trying to play it long or anything like that. They were legitimately trying to, to find cracks and find holes through the Barca defense, but they just, you know, it simply wasn't there, but yeah, I mean, they, they played and, you know, so, and after they scored to equalize in the first half, that last sort of half hour of the first half, I mean, Barca were of course on balance, the the better team, but you'd be hard pressed to say that they were necessarily deserving of another goal. I mean, they, they didn't create that many, sort of, you know, guilt edge chances in the toward in, you know, in this latter half hour of the first half. And then when you come out of the you come out of the locker room, there's already that little bit of like, well, this is weird. You know, why are we why are we tied at home when we scored after eight minutes? And then what is it, three minutes later, you get chipped from, you know, 45 yards out or whatever it is. At no point did I actually think that the Barca were going to to lose that match. But I remember when that went in thinking, don't tell me like the, the, you know, the sports gods have just, just a depraved sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And I was like, don't you dare tell me that on this night, the first thought that went through my mind, and this is deep in the annals, but I I was like, don't tell me this is like the Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas Mm -hmm. moment where, you know, just no one has even contemplated the possibility of, of defeat it's more so we're going to judge you on how stylish your victory is yeah and suddenly we're dealing with these new permutations that, well, that you know 
that weren't even in the in the equation before. Well, well I keep doing the the Duke North Carolina college <laughs> basketball thing right now for those uh, in the U.S. Yeah, the Coach K Madness, thing. Yeah, where <laughs> North Carolina beats Coach K in his you know in in that final home game at uh, at Cameron Indoor Stadium. So it's a huge thing that North Carolina mm-hmm. sours that moment. But now these two teams meeting in the final four, yes. and people are wondering: Has there ever been a bigger Duke North Carolina match? With this, but this is Coach yeah. K's last game ever, right? This this historic yeah. figure, and this match again, it felt like that a little bit too. In that this yeah. is Barcelona Real Madrid in El Clasico for when that goal was scored. For me, it felt like the first time. Like I know these two teams have faced off before, but yeah. you know it's going to be a little bit, I think, before Real Madrid still gets a result against the Barca Femini. But when Claudia Zornoza's long-range effort you're right yeah. chips uncharacteristically poor goalkeeping from Sandra Panos for the 2-1 yeah. like at that moment I'm like oh okay so this Champions League tie that Alexia Puteas late goal from the first leg looking gigantic at this moment right right yeah. because now they're they're at least they're still up 3-2 at that point but then you're right there was that that, that flip I mean that switch was completely flipped Aitana Bonmati who had been kind of quiet from her I mean from her perspective for the player who was my my I mean she was the woman of the match in the Champions League final yeah. last year she's been so consistent this year mm-hmm. when healthy so the immediate answer from her Hermoso feeds her and just a calm and classy finish she was so I was gonna say that oh. was so cool I mean she just sort of strolled I, I say strolled in I mean she she made her way in she eluded defenders but it felt like she just sort of it was like she had decided that things needed to be set straight yeah and just you know we need to we need to restore the natural order and she just went and it was almost the equivalent of dunking on someone like she just went in and she was like okay fine you're not leading anymore at least you know like now we can actually get down to the get down to the task at hand and we don't have to drag this out we don't have to worry about trailing you guys for 15 minutes and you know even giving this a moment's thought anymore yeah and then the third one Claudio Pina, a reminder that she's still yeah. just 20 years old. And I really did think when she went to Sevilla last year on loan, I wasn't sure where her future was going to lie just because of how deep, as I said, Martins mm-hmm. and Aswala were playing in this match. But with all the injuries that have occurred for the Femini this year, Pina has been so essential. I and mean, she's been hurt herself, but she's been so yeah. essential to that depth up top. And then when Bruna Villamala, the other young striker for the Femini, yeah. goes down, you just you needed somebody to just, I mean, as much as this team wins five or six every single match seemingly in Spain and they've won yeah. every single one. They won the league with six games remaining. You still need, you know, who's scoring those five or six goals, right? So if you're missing all your forwards through injury, you still have to, yeah, you yeah. still need someone to score. Someone them. has to be scoring those, right? It's not going <laughs> yeah. to just be Sandra Panos or whoever's still healthy. So yeah, I mean, I was uncertain about her last year with Sevilla. She was, mm-hmm. she was, I mean, I think she's the most highly touted. And again, mm-hmm. the understanding of youth football in, uh, in women's Spanish youth football is like, you know, in its infancy, but she was really mm. the first one I had heard of. We heard about her about 15, 16 years old, so about four or five years ago, mm. just I was starting the pod. I was doing those La Masia profiles on Barca blog. Yep. I was going di- digging deep, watching Cadet Ah, U16s for the, the men or the U19s for the boys yep. or the Juvenil Ahs. <laughs> and so the only real name that I could find that had any kind of footing for the for the Women's Academy, which again has made huge strides, again, in the four or five years, was Pina. I, even mm. Villama wasn't really uh, too much on her. And then uh, Jana Fernandez, who was unfortunately one of the other young players who was out for the season yeah. with a with a knee injury as well. So I hope she gets healthy for next year. But yeah. she's also part of the future. But for Pina to score that goal, right, that three two, 
it again mm-hmm. felt like okay Barcelona even though Hermosa is in her 30s and you know mm-hmm. it's she's still got quite a few years at the top but Pina yep. is going to be there she'll be there the minute if also Swallow decides to move on or Martins decides to move on you have Pina yeah. she's right there and, and an absolutely wonderful finish as well just like the the Atana Banmati where I'm watching that and I'm saying hey this is a goal that it's gonna highlight it's not just like a ceremonial penalty kick or yeah. just kind of kind of goal like when somebody watches the highlights from that match Zornoza's effort awesome from 30 40 yards out and then as I said Aitana's goal great Pina's goal yeah. absolutely again terrific that was the goalkeeper's was left shoulder in the top yeah. corner yes fan, yeah fantastic and then Alexia you, you couldn't fourth. place it yeah. any any more perfectly like if you just if they let you place it with your hand but you'd mm-hmm. kind of you'd pick that trajectory for it to go in. I mean, there was not even just a an, a hint of, there wasn't a hint of sort of luck or keeper error about that. She just put it somewhere where you can't get to it. And, you know, it was kind of a, you have to tip your tip your cap to to the attacker when they, when they do it that well type of moment. Yeah, and, and then the pressure continues to kind of, I mean, at that point, Barcelona, you felt like they took that breath they knew it was over, so then Alexia adds the fourth, and then Rolfo crosses in for CGH for the fifth. And yeah. Rolfo, to go back to Rolfo, like Alexia Buteas, not she hasn't been as good as she was last year, but she was last year. She was the figure. She was the yeah. the, the main protagonist every single time. But as we mm-hmm. mentioned, like this this year, you've seen Caroline Graham Hansen be just mm-hmm. as good or arguably as bad. I mean, I think she might have felt like because she wasn't named in that top five in that short list for the Ballon d'Or, I think Caroline Graham Hansen, yeah. she wrote some names <laughs> down, right? I mean, three of those are her own teammates, but <laughs> she did. You yeah. know, but she wanted to write down the names of all the other players who weren't playing for her own team. Uh, and then the addition of Rolfo over the summer, we, you and I talked about that. And I was, you know, coming over from Wolfsburg, she wasn't really a goal scorer. She seemed to be a bit more, we'll say, physical or, you know, she can dig in defensively was a bit of her reputation. But I didn't think she'd fit as seamlessly well as she did. And again, going back to injuries this season, Rolfo has been consistently healthy and consistently showed up. uh, She's played on the wing. She's played center forward. She's basically played anywhere she's had to. I was just going to say she's been. Yeah. She's been everything that, that the club has needed her to be. I mean, both in terms of, like you said, out of just sheer necessity, out of out of the need of, you know, just able <laughs> able bodies, but also just in her, even when they when they recruited her, when they when they brought her in, I don't know that did they know just how kind of versatile and uh just what an absolute Swiss Army knife she is. I mean, she is spectacular you know i mean she's been and I, I guess that's the thing when i say spectacular she's not always spectacular but she's just spectacular and like you said her she's always present she's always always kind of always capable never never makes a mistake you know which is such a such a massive trait you know and um yeah she was fantastic yeah she doesn't really fit in a certain box where she's not just like mm. graham hansen if you give her any space on the touchline she's going to mm. be to the goal line right i mean she's just a winger's winger that being graham yeah. hansen also has an ability to score but yeah rolfo her finishing is suspect at times she again she's not going to dribble mm. 1v1 versus an outside back mm. but also she can do those things she can score yes. <laughs> and pop up she can't right so there are comparisons a bit to the way that ferran torres plays for the men's team where rolfo just finds space 
and create space herself. Again, she's also just, she can be a bit of a superior athlete at times to her opposition, especially in the Spanish league. Mm -hmm. So she can just use her physical tools to to, to gain that advantage. So yeah, I mean, the team has already won the league with six games remaining. And now all eyes are, I I hope, on that next round, right? I mean, I think the club would be stupid not to say, hey, uh, we're going to do the next one if, I mean, it depends on the oh, schedule. They, they've, and, they've already announced they are. Right, right. So the next one's at, the, and yeah. it's smart to do it. Again, it's more revenue, but it also, again, if they can keep this momentum through, and if the Femini in particular can win this, not to mm. say that the Femini have pushed women's football forward, but you could tell the, the, the internet yesterday was watching and understanding what had just taken place. And I think, again, happening at the Camp No, and that number yeah. itself, that 91,553, that number carried so much weight in the conversations yesterday that said this many people, it was a world record, yeah. this many people cared about women's football yesterday in one location. And yeah, it was a Classico, yeah. but you know, the Femini, now you could see that they're ready for this responsibility of carrying that torch forward for, I'm not saying international women's football because the, the, the Women's World Cup is gigantic as well. Yeah, but, yeah that's, that's already big in its own right. But as far yeah. as carrying the club torch, they are carrying this club torch. And I think it, it would actually be a help. I can't believe I'm saying it this way, but I think it would be actually a benefit and a help for this feminine team to, to be repeat back-to-back Women's Champions League winners. Oh, 100%. I, I, think, I think it would be a, for them to carry this momentum from this world record all the way through to, to the final, yes. I, I think I think would be helpful. The only thing is, uh, we I, I do end this segment on a on kind of a down yeah. note. Right before, prior to, hours before, you saw the mm-hmm. story coming out from a young Brazilian forward, Gio, who mm-hmm. she's Brazilian, but also has grown up in the U.S. and Spain, mm-hmm. and currently on loan at Levante from from the Femini, where she last mm-hmm. season made 13 appearances as a youth player, seven goals, mm-hmm. just a really good player. Another one of the, again, promising mm-hmm. amount of forward riches the club mm-hmm. has, but I don't think she's going to be at the Femini or she's going to be at Barcelona for mm-hmm. in the long term because she a story, a story came out about her being honest about some of the abuses she had received at the club, mm-hmm. about them pressuring her not to play for Brazil, not to, to travel in that way. And then they uh, held her out through, they, they basically, the um, one of the, the club doctors said that she had COVID when she didn't, when she had tested negative, uh, just to hold her out. It's just a really negative story. And a reminder that, especially in women's sports, that if you get enough attention on it, you're going to see that there is underhanded stuff at play. And the hope is that the club immediately cracks down, that that, that figure, I don't even think I remember or saw the name. Um, and if I did, I didn't remember the name. It was, a, again, a minor doctor or some other medical staff member. I hope that they are, don't let the door hit you on the, on the way out, right? I hope they're kicked out of the club right. ASAP. And I hope that there's a place for Geo in the club moving forward just because she is so promising a player. But again, that's the kind of thing where I don't think if the club doesn't handle this well and just tries to brush it under the rug, you know, she will never, you know, she could return to haunt the club as a member of Real Madrid in the future. You're absolutely right. I think particularly when it, when it pertains to women's women's sports. And I think we can also say probably broadly speaking about youth sports. Um, oh yeah. You sure. know, it's true of kind of college sports. I mean, really anywhere where the, where the power dynamic is just grossly out of whack between, you know, the institutions and the, and the athletes. Yeah. I mean, the, the more intimately familiar we get and the more we, the more we shine a line on it. Yeah. The more, the more, I don't even want to stay uncomfortable, the more awful and, you know, sometimes like odious stories we're going to, we're going to come up, come up with. And I do think, I mean, it's like you said yesterday, the, the club, whatever the initial motivations were for holding this game at Cumpno and initially, you know, the first 80,000 tickets went for opening up more tickets and really just, 
setting the stage for what was, I mean, it was like the platonic ideal of just kind of a magical night of watching sports. I mean, even down to the point after the final whistle, you know, like the, I, I would say probably conservatively 65 or 70,000 of the 91 stuck around for 20 minutes after as the club just basically circled the pitch and went and like took the drums from, you know, from the ultras and the flags and just basically just, so it's, I mean, that's the defining image, right? Alexia. Yeah. The, the drum. yeah. Alexia with the, Alexia with the yeah. drum. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's going to so, be the cover art for everything <laughs> today. I've already, oh, totally. I've, already, I've already made the cover art before. Usually I make, you know, again, how this awesome. Yeah. Made. Usually I make the JPEG and the cover art and all that stuff after we record the show. Right. Once I figure out exactly what the main topic is, but I actually made that last night. This time you knew. With the title. knew <laughs> exactly with the title and the art and everything yeah. was going to be. Yes. Yeah, so that one was already made. Yeah. So, and I mean, I think the, the club is okay. So you've captured, you, you've, I don't know, you've, done this thing that you set out to do and it's come off absolutely perfectly. You know, I mean, just in every which way possible, the, the kind of things you, that you're talking about that happened with Gio and, you know, presumably that's not the only person that has had that or something along those lines happen to them. You know, a young woman who's played for the club. The, the one thing that you can absolutely do now is, you know, short of trying to, you know, to, to make whole or, you know, sort of make, make right with the people who've been wrong before is exactly like you said, you have to make sure, I mean, like damn sure, 100% sure that this isn't happening now and that there's not a, an environment at the club that is encouraging that sort of thing or allowing that, you know, allowing that sort of thing to, to happen and to really gain momentum because you don't want to do this one phenomenally great thing on the one hand, only to be undercut by, you know, stories of, you know, whatever, systemic negligence or, you know, systemic malfeasance. Yeah, because this stuff is going to start to stack up on top of each other. I mean, don't think anybody didn't forget the Albert Benegas story from just a few months ago that right. with the Youth Academy. So, yeah, these negative stories yeah. are going to continue to to pile up. And Barca, yeah, the the finance stuff and all the mishandlings of the, you know, the executive stuff, that is hopefully what the club has been able to put behind it. But they have to also make sure that they are, uh, they have to be clean. Again, Barca's image, yeah. and this is, again, people can roll their eyes about the Mexican club stuff. But for Barcelona and keeping Mexican club as, quote unquote, sacred as it should be, to keep that allure of, you know, and I know free agents just want to win. And, you know, mm. the business side of things doesn't necessarily have to do with a club doing right by all their players. But it's really helpful when a club is avoiding this negative stuff by just doing the yes. right thing and not allowing this stuff to happen. And when it does, to 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 spurge uh, or purge it, I mean, um, from the club yeah. and get it out of there as fast as possible. So, all right, we ended unfortunately on a very negative note, but <laughs> yeah, we talked for a long time about all the positives about the ninety-one thousand people. So, hopefully, if the Camp Nou is to fill up with the men's team, we're going to see next year in the Champions League, potentially, who they've got. So that's my transition to talk a little about the other news. We got some one-offs, and then we'll get out of here. So apparently, Jordi Cruyff was meeting last night with Antonio Rudiger's agent. He's available on a free transfer. And I didn't think, based on the wages that Rudiger was apparently asking for, that he was going to be in the ballpark. We already know Christensen is on his way. So it seems hmm. like Barcelona also, as Blaquette is reportedly staying at Chelsea, his contract yeah, extended for an additional year after an appearance clause, which seems weird that it's just being mentioned now as if, you know, he was, I mean, obviously a, the club captain is probably going to reach that appearance mark. So yeah. why was he spoken about as a free agent? And it just, it's a confusing time for that, that, that 
thing to come out. Also, why would that now be relevant after all the, the garbage with Abramovich? So yeah, it's 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 a confusing time for that to come out. But I know Xavi wants Azlequeta. He knows him personally. He knows he's going to be just like mm-hmm. Danny Alves, such a great leader in the locker room. And he's also, what, five years younger than Danny Alves or six years younger than Danny yeah. Alves. But Rudiker would be the quote-unquote big fish, the one that yes. uh, you know that he's in his prime. And if he's available, especially on a free, if he's available with proper wages. The only question, though, that I think is being brought up, Emil, for you to answer is, do you think that's a sign of Araujo's renewal being in a, a confusing place? Because the reports also this week are that the Araujo and Gabi, there is less worry than we should have. But until that's done, it's not done. Well, between the two of them, I mean, the Araujo seems like the, if one of them is going to get complicated and contentious, it sounds like it might be Araujo yeah, more, yeah, than, Gabi. more than Gabi. I'm not worried about that. So, yet. yeah, I mean, I mean, there might be a hint of that. Or, you know, even if they, even if the club don't know with absolute certainty that, that the Araujo situation is going to get going to get ugly or possibly just break down altogether. You know, getting getting Rudiger on a free transfer, if you can get him, like you said, on on wages that are palatable and with no transfer fee, it, that's almost the type of situation. I mean, you know, you, you sometimes you say it in other sports. I mean, you might even say it, you know, it, it's applicable in football sometimes too. Sometimes when a talent like that is available, it just so much the right price, you know, literally zero plus palatable wages, you almost snap up the talent and figure out what to do with it afterwards because in the future, if you want a player like that, like they're not always, you know, they're not always sitting there available at, at that cost. (laughs) So I think there's a little bit of that. I think there's a little bit of just, you know, almost just stocking the cupboard with as much top tier talent as possible on, on decent wages. And I do think it's a little bit of, I think it might be an indication that the talks with Araujo might get a little bit, I don't know if contentious, you know, they, they might get a little bit complicated and it might also just be a signal to him and his agents that, you know, again, as they've said to so many other players, if you don't want to be here, if you're not willing to do mm-hmm. the things that, and we can, you know, we can always get into, you know, endlessly kind of, you know, is it on the player to do what the club, you know, kind of to, you know, to put the badge over his heart and do what the club wants him to do and forego money. Yeah. That's, that's not the, that's not the question right here because I definitely have my opinions about that, but um, you know, it might be a sign that if you're not willing to play ball, if you're not willing to do the the things for the club and what, what we need of you, no one is bigger than the club. And well, so we can, we can find world-class talent to replace you. Well, and, and I think that's like the big calm about Laporta returning that the biggest question about Laporta, was he going to be able to return Barcelona to a place of, of leverage in negotiations and it sounds like if that is the case, like, again, it's the business side, it's ugly, but it sounds like if Laporte is able to go into these meetings with these players and say, hey, you know, we are in some financial mess. I know you like it here. I know that, you know, we're going to be returning to mm. European glory soon enough, and we want you to be a part of it. Here's the number that we can offer you based on our problems. There are other players, though. Like, if Barcelona are truly a destination again, and there are other players who are willing mm. to come for that number, and then Barcelona are going to go out and get those players for that number. And, yeah. you know, it does once again, it does give them leverage again. And I, I think Dembele is in a, a different case because Dembele, not to say that Araujo isn't a special player because he has the mm-hmm. potential to be one of the best center backs in the entire mm-hmm. world. And defensively, he's already up there as arguably one of the better defensive center backs in the entire world. Oh, yeah. Um, but just an all around player. 
But Dembélé is just so different. This is a, such a yeah. different special kind of thing that fits in a way mm-hmm. uh, that you can't really truly like for like for places I talked about on the earlier show in the week with Rafinha. But apparently yeah. even Dembélé telling the dress room that he'd like to stay. But on that one, even if negotiations begin again, what's truly changed? You know, like neither side really truly has leverage in that one where Dembélé is going to leave on a free and the club is just going to have to cut their losses. But in the same way, Dembélé, you know, does he truly want to go somewhere else? I, as I've said before, even with the PSG stuff, I'm not so sure about that because I think this is the best place for him on the field. And he knows that even if he off the field wants to leave, even if his agent wants a bigger number. And we know that the numbers other clubs are, I mean, and by other clubs, I just mean PSG at this point, right? Right. Like, so what PSG is probably also, offering is way better than what Barca can offer. Look, I think, so yeah, when it comes to money, you know, yeah, PSG, I mean, especially if, you know, there's there's the rumors of, you know, what are they going to do with Neymar this, you know, this summer if they can move him? You know, the PSG, first of all, they always have money to begin with, but then there's a chance that they might even have a little bit more payroll flexibility to the extent that that's something that anyone there has ever thought about. And then, but I think even beyond that, you have to start thinking about also, I know Dembele has had probably on balance his four years, you know, what is it, four years, four and a half years? His time in Barcelona has been rocky at best and you know the the troughs have been quite low and he has not gotten by my assessment he hasn't gotten necessarily fair treatment but he definitely hasn't gotten the benefit of the doubt from the fans and i think when you look at psg i don't get the impression that their fans are going to give you you know particularly after the disappointment of this season and you know the the mbappe neymar messi line didn't didn't produce fireworks as they had hoped i don't imagine that they're going to be sort of gentle nurturing and welcoming to whoever comes in, you know, yeah, I mean, how, whoever comes in after that. The irony isn't the, the sweet irony is that Dembele was, is, was booed at the camp. No, because he was brought in as a replacement for Neymar and was not that player. And now yeah. he's going to PSG potentially as a replacement to Kylian Mbappe. And he's not going to be that player. And no. the PSG fans are going to turn on him as well. And he's going to be making, I, again, PSG fans have to care a little bit less about the wages that their players are on. Because as you said, like FFP yeah. is not a real thing and it's a bottomless well of money. So they don't really yeah. have to care. They don't see, have to see players as a price tag the way the Kool-Aids do, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they don't have to hold things against the, their players the way the Coutinho and no. Griezmann and, and Dembele and the like. But yeah, like Dembele is still... I mean, the responsibility as a PSG is going to be greater than that of Barcelona, oddly enough. Which, again, is crazy because at Barcelona, he's he's carrying the weight of all these years of failure with him at Barcelona. But going to PSG is not going to be any bit better, again, because he's going to be carrying the weight of being Mbappe's replacement, which is just impossible for him to to reach that level. That's because he's not that player, I mean. That's not who he is. And they're going to just, why isn't he scoring 15 goals along with his 10 assists? Oh, exactly. Well, I I think there's another thing, too, that... The, the timing of his contract expiration is a little bit unfortunate because I do think that after this sort of really difficult odyssey that he's had, I think this with, with Javi coming in and immediately, I don't know if Javi just almost, I don't want to say sad unseen, but even before working with him, decided that he was going to advocate for him and try to, you know, make him kind of a reclamation project. Or if it really was just, you know, Javi watched him play and was like, my I mean, he's complimented God, him is... in years past. I mean, we're talking yes, 2018, exactly. yeah. 19. He's thrown some stuff out there, even when Dembele was injured. He said some yeah, stuff so about I'm... how special a player he is. Yeah, so I'm guessing he was just very excited to coach him. Mm-hmm. And then he has coached him. And obviously, the the experience of coaching him has 
has, you know, I guess lived up to lived up to the hype or lived up to, to what Javi would have wanted. And Dembele is playing the best football he's played since he's been at Barca. I think this, it would be interesting if they're able to strike some sort of a deal for him to stick around for the, for the simple fact that I think the, for all the emotional baggage that there is from, from the previous years, I think if he actually completed this full circle reclamation and came back and was a world-class Barca superstar, I feel like he could kind of become a sort of a hero, you know, like in the sense of this guy looked into the abyss almost and he had one foot out the door and then he chose to stick around and, yeah, you know, and he, time, yeah, and he just, well. yeah. I mean, I feel like at that point it would be like, you know, you guys can't doubt me for a second at this point, you know, well, just, yeah. you know, question my commitment at your own peril now. Well, and the latest report is that he wants a short-term contract and the club wants mm-hmm. like four to five years and he wants two. But in all honesty, the two doesn't scare me off him at all, though, because not at know, all. Give him two. If anything, it's actually not say good timing, but it's interesting timing because mm. with Barcelona assuming the added income and revenue from the Spotify deal, which I mean, yeah. again, we've heard mixed things. We've heard that number is lower than it mm. should be. We've also heard this week that it could be higher than as even being reported mm. or and the CBC deal, the revised CBC deal, which should be mm. done in a few months as mm. well. So with that revenue all coming in and I think seems like even with that Holland is you know not being considered or anything like that but mm. the point is with that new revenue if Barcelona are able to again continue to turn another leaf another page over mm. on their financial issues then when it's time to renegotiate this deal in another year and a half because again if it's a two-year deal in theory you'd renegotiate another year and a half Dembele will be 26 I think or 27 at that point and in the yeah. prime of his career and if he wants to leave at that point the club will have a lot better of an understanding about the health of Ansu Fati and they're not the same player but if Ansu yeah. is healthy with the depth that is going to be available to them and we'll say two years down the line where Pedri and Gabi and those kind of players are and what other players wingers wise are yeah who else has come in right on, yeah. on, on freeze or on on lower wages or where you know is that 30 is that what 17 year old Angelo from Santos you know if Barca spend 35 million on him or whatever you know is he the next yeah the next big star you know there are things that I'm not saying that I'm just saying you don't know two years down the road mm-hmm. where certain players are at right like Elash and Komash he'll be 20 at the time where is he going to be on his development all these different you know minor questions that we don't think about in the same way that I'm not saying that Elash and Komash is the next coming of the next great winger but I am saying that you know Ansu was 14 when you wondered about the future of not even Neymar, because he was 15 at that time. But yeah, I mean, Ansu Fati was 15 years old when Neymar left, right? You couldn't have imagined that Barcelona's left wing, if when healthy, you know, was kind of taken care of in theory because the kid was 15. And the same thing, Gabi right. was... 11 years old when I started the podcast, right? So I couldn't have right. been like, oh, when Rakitic and when Rakitic is finally gone, you know, he'll be replaced yeah. by this, by this, this, by this 11, 11 year old, year old. kid. So, is, he's exactly. totally got so it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say short term is fine. The way the football works, a lot changes in a year and a half, two years. Like, and Dembele can, if anything, if he bets on himself to stay at Barca, he's going to have yeah. a lot more leverage in those negotiations then even. Uh, but then Barcelona also now has a year and a half to figure out a contingency plan if he's to leave. So I, I'm well, actually on board with uh short term 
And then, I, I totally agree. Yeah. I, I think the signing him for two years would be, I mean, look, maybe you want him for three or four or whatever. I understand. Like you get the cost certainty and, you know, especially well, if you're going to negotiate a lower with a high release, yeah, it's easier to sell him long when he has a longer contract as well. Cause well, and it's with that, and also if you're negotiating a lower salary with him now, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to, if you're going to talk him into signing for something that might be sub market or, you know, barely like at the lower end of the market, you kind of want to lock that cost in as long as you possibly can. So well, it also sounds like this contract wouldn't be backlogged. And I think the reason why he's dis- yeah. he's not going with a, a long-term mm-hmm. is also because in year three and four for again, for the likes of Man United or mm-hmm. PSG and Barca mm-hmm. done, I've done this a, a lot. They've mm-hmm. done this always that mm-hmm. these contracts are backloaded with the, the mm-hmm. highest numbers at the end. And it does happen with guys in their prime like this, where you put the most yeah. money in years three and four. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, when players are in their early thirties or mid thirties, you know, really does come back to bite a lot of clubs. And in the case of yeah. Dembele, um, I think he would want that. I mean, in, and that means that the club is not offering that, right? It, it, if he's right. not willing to do four or five years, that means that the club is not offering to give him those raises each and every year, the way it seems like they're reportedly going to do for Holland if he were to arrive. Yeah. And so, I, and I think there's another element, but I think from, from Dembele's perspective as well, if he really, like, if, if he's sincere, if all these reports are to be believed and he does want to stick around and, you know, there's fair reason to believe that he might want to, he's playing for a coach that believes in him and he's playing well and all of that. I mean, this two years might be the ideal, like you said, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a, I mean, it's more than a showcase, obviously, because, you know, you hope that the club is, is competing for stuff in the meantime, but it's a fantastic opportunity to finally grow into a huge front and center role at Barca that, you know, you were sort of earmarked for, but, you know, was, was derailed so many times. So in that sense, you know, he has that fantastic opportunity. And also in two years, like you said, if he wants to go, Barca have the option to to sell him on or, you know, but they also have an option to assess where he's at if they want to keep him. And, you know, you were saying a lot can happen in two years. Just even the financial situation at Barca, I mean, you and I have talked about how dramatically it's changed for the better in what, eight months? So two and a half months. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, yeah. It, exactly. And so if they're able to keep on that trajectory and they're able to whether wind down some deals or sell some players on or, you know, do whatever and get, get the financial house, you know, even more in order from Dembele's perspective, you take the two-year deal for whatever it is that they're offering. Ideally in two years, if the club is in yet better financial health and, you know, reapproaching kind of what the, what the good old days were like, you can then, you get a, you get a fair crack at, you get almost like a free crack at renegotiating your salary to fair market price. Because if you've played well for the last few years, you can go back to the table and say, look, when you guys were really in a bad way, I took a pay cut and I performed for two years. And, you know, hopefully you win some stuff in the meantime. So you can say like, Hey, you see those trophies? I helped win those. So now, you know, put me back in the top tier of earners, you know, I, f- I feel like we've, I feel like we've done enough for one another. Yeah. And if he gets hurt again, then the club has all the leverage in that case, but uh, exactly. I- yeah. I mean, it's, it's a gamble, you know I mean? For, especially given his injury history, I understand where he does want the longer term because well, no, he's I the mean, one look, calling for the short term. Oh, I guess. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. I, I totally. Yeah. Yeah. And from his perspective, I, I understand that maybe he simply doesn't want to go to PSG and, because, I mean, even like you said, there's no landing spots for him really other than PSG or sticking around at Barcelona. If he wants to, I mean, you know, I mean, is there is there even a third player? 
like in terms of uh can you think of a third club that that might be a potential destination for him i mean i it, i think the future of Mohamed salah at liverpool would be the answer to that question uh they're yeah. a club that's bringing a lot of revenue so they might see him as a b option but i think that whatever they're willing to offer and salah is also probably staying at liverpool because it seems like i mean there's nowhere else that he's going he's not coming to barcelona he'll well, stay in the premier league so yeah it is a bit yeah. of a musical chairs always and uh, yeah. i also don't think dembele is the first move right i mean the first chess piece obviously in this big off season or this mm-hmm. holland centric off season is mbappe right mbappe going to yeah. real madrid is the first quote-unquote chess piece that everybody knows yep. is starting to move across the board in slow motion and, yep. uh, and then holland to man city to me that's not a chess piece i think that's actually those numbers are so far above everything else yeah. that's just like something that you kind of look up and see it's happening and then oh, the other yeah. chess pieces are all below <laughs> kind of working itself out that said i mean man city did their julian alvarez already which is again basically an insurance policy to holland potentially not coming or choosing some other club i again i expect number wise holland to go to man city could also go to real madrid but again we'll have to see those kind of things but yeah as far as the wingers then then you're talking about rafinha from Leeds United, but is that twenty-five million if they're relegated, or is that are they really going to truly ask for seventy-five million if they finish sixteen right. in the Premier League? But all right, so last piece of news we get out of here though: yeah. um, Barcelona could sign Turkish sixteen-year-old midfielder Keenan Yildiz from Bayern Munich's U19s. Add him to the pile of young attacking midfielders that Barca is gathering. I talked about this yeah. with uh, Pablo Torre news two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and he's sixteen. Played for the Bayern Munich U19s. You can look at his numbers. I think I saw him when Barcelona's U19s played against Bayern Munich in the UEFA Youth League. I did see him once. I have nothing to say about him. I have no... He looks like a a young player at the time. He was 15 when I saw that match or 14, whatever it was, uh, when he was featuring in that match. But it's another puzzling thing because he's another attacking midfielder who's set to arrive to Barca B. And they are truly just collecting attacking midfielders. I made a YouTube video about it. So check that out on the YouTube channel. Subscribe while you're over there. I don't have anything more to add on the pod. So Emil, thanks so much for joining me uh, for this one. So much Barca Femini, so many good vibes. I think I said everything negative I possibly could have about that story because it is nothing but just uh, (laughs) greatness, just glory and wonder. uh, Don't worry. Anyone, yeah, anyone, yeah, I will be riding. I will probably be just low-key drunk on this for for a couple of more days. Well, I'm actually going on Saturday again to the uh, Estadio on Cruyff to watch them uh, in all likelihood hammer uh, Villarreal. So, so I'm, this is a very, it's a very feminine week, but um, no, I mean, the last night was just everything you said is with merit, but there was something just almost like it was, it was spectacular. Like last night was just sort of, it was one of those weird magical things. Like, you know, when you're there, sometimes you're like, Hey, thank God, at least sometimes the world gets it right. Yeah. Yep. And we actually had a, a number of podcast listeners that were there. I saw in the in the closed Facebook group that you can join. Just answer the questions. I let you in. Uh, yeah. And a number of people from the closed Facebook group were at that game last night. And it was so cool to see all these different videos from people that I follow, people yeah. I've met over the years <laughs> hosting this, and just see that, that it really was a confluence of of, of just a, a sheer multitude of people at this at this cathedral uh, of the sport. Um, and by sport, yeah. I mean women's football as well. So uh, that'll wrap up another show. Follow Emil on Twitter down in the show notes. We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pot as the need 13 for me. Already mentioned a closed Facebook group, already mentioned YouTube, and then Patreon is the last place that, uh, again, you can get in touch with me potentially. I'm a little more available there, let's say, for the Patreons. And again, a shout out again to Patreon Armando helping me out with BarcelonaBlog.com, where you can find all the different content that we make. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, the Barcelona. Of course, the Barcelona.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.